2: It is another episode of Tapeheads, Bob and Scott Pioli and Dan Orlovsky, where we do our best to take you deeper inside the X's and O's to the tape, like hopefully no other football podcast does. Obviously, Scott Pioli, longtime NFL general manager, Dan Orlovsky, longtime NFL quarterback, breaks it down at the touch screen like no other on ESPN. And guys, let's get right to Packers, Bears. This is supposed to be one of the hallmark rivalries in all of NFL history, but according to Aaron Rodgers, I guess it's not that much of a rivalry. Well, we've
3: won uh, a few in a row now. I love this rivalry. It's been, been a lot of fun over the years. That's why I told Justin on field, to enjoy this special rivalry. Unlike any other in our game.
2: Well, Aaron Rodgers says he owns the Chicago Bears. We, we always talked about during this whole you know, year, year and a half uh, standoff between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers that maybe he'd get a piece of the Packers. Well, maybe he's got enough of the Bears that, that he has an ownership stake already <laughs> in the NFL <laughs> because, uh, Scott, he has been Aaron Rodgers. He is what we have expected him to be. But maybe the jumping off point should be the protection he's getting up front. Right? And, I mean, their, their offense right now is firing – in a way that, you know, not only is Aaron Rodgers succeeding, but he's getting the help that he needs protection-wise.
4: Without a doubt. And and I got to tell you, I was very skeptical at the beginning of the year. I didn't know how they were going to do it because I wasn't that sold on the individuals, right? The the different players. They have injury issues. I thought to myself, the only way that this is going to happen, they're going to have to do things with the running game. They're going to have to do things with chips, motions, uh, just to help a lot. A little bit forgetting about how important it is and how the sum is oh, needs to always be better than the individual parts. And, and I'm watching this group, and I'm watching the physicality, I'm watching the way that they play, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, who's coaching this group? And I knew who was coaching, but then I I, I looked at it a little bit more, and you know, the offensive line coach Adam Stenevich has a certain kind of personality. You know, he was an all two-time all-time uh all Big 10 guy as an offensive lineman himself at Michigan and then when he got done playing, he became a strength and conditioning Uh, graduate assistant. He worked in the strength and conditioning program. Then he became an offensive line coach. That gives you a little bit of taste of the type of person he is and his makeup and what kind of playing style he probably likes. Their assistant offensive line coach is a guy by the name of Luke Butkus. Okay, yes, of the Butkus lineage, but was an offensive lineman in college. And then the other guy that you have to talk about is their tight end coach Justin Outen and i worked with Justin in atlanta along with matt floor when he was the offensive line assistant he's now he goes to green bay and became the tight end coach and justin played at syracuse and and, and i've known him for for quite a long time now and he is as gritty tough as you can imagine, and that's what kind of player he was at Syracuse. You know, he, he kind of affectionately called himself a bit of a dirtbag because that's the way he played, and I bring up those three names and those three guys because – That's the style of play that you're getting out of the Green Bay Packers offensive line right now. This group is reflecting who they're being coached by, the two offensive line coaches and the tight end coach. And we're seeing something again, you know, shame on me for at the beginning of the year looking at these individuals saying, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work not knowing well enough how good this coaching staff was. And then you go to a guy like Matt LaFleur as an offensive coach who understands protections, understands the running game. He learned under the Shanahans, both Mike and Kyle, understands the importance of the running game and the importance of detail. It's been fascinating to watch. And and truly, as I've watched this, because I've gone back to these these games and watched them and said to myself, I want to figure out what's going on here. And what you see is a group that is playing a certain way on offense and it makes the big plays down the field look like it's all fireworks, but there's a lot of, you know, underground work that's going on as well.
5: Yeah, Scott, I agree with so much. I think the really cool thing, just philosophy-wise that I've seen from the Packers this year in regards to their offensive line is they're going more empty. Um, I And if you look at their empty... We think empty as, hey, there's five receivers out there and really both offensive tackles are on islands by themselves. What the Packers are doing is they are going empty, but putting a back and a tight end on really either hip of the tackles. They are chipping when the ball gets snapped, those defensive ends, really just allowing for that initial step, that initial second, the tackles aren't by themselves. They're not going to get whooped off the edge. And then that you can still get five people into your pass concept. Because the back and tight end, they're just going to chip, help the tackle for just a second, and then they get into their pass concept route. So I think it's really smart by Matt LaFleur that they're constantly doing that in their empty package. They're not exposing those tight ends or those tackles. Two plays I want to talk about because I, I'm, uh, you know, I just love um, everything about the Packers offense right now. They're getting into 12 personnel and they're taking one of the tight ends and taking him off the ball pre-snap. And so that means he can move and what they're doing. And again, I I started this kind of revolution last year talking about emotion and there's a difference between pre snap motion and at snap motion and what they're doing in their run game specifically. Because when you line up in 12 personnel and you just have your receiver on either side and your tight end on either side, you're very uh, balanced. You're very even and teams often defensively line up even as well. They match split from the ball and you are going to match the numbers on either side. What they're doing is that tight end that lines off the ball. He is going in a quick motion and right when he gets behind Aaron Rodgers, they snap it and they use him in your run game. And it doesn't allow the defense enough time to match that number. So if you think of the center guys and you go 12 personnel, and you so if we're going to run the ball to left, we have our left guard, our left tackle and our tight end. Well, I have three guys in my blocking when I motion that tight end over and snap him right behind me, I have 4 now in my blocking numbers. Math. Well, the defense can't adjust quickly enough. I hate and math. they ran they <laughs> and and now I gain the numbers advantage again in my run game in the long run by AJ Dillon. I think it's like 23 or 24 yards in the third quarter. Um, is the perfect example of this. They get their tight end on a backside linebacker, blocking-wise, I mean, it, it, you're creating advantage in your angles and your leverage and your numbers, which is beautiful. And then if we go to the fourth quarter, long completion of Devontae Adams. Again, they're an empty. And Aaron is at the line of scrimmage figuring out who the offensive line should go block. And he looks at the linebacker to his left who's over the slot receiver and the nickelbacker over who's the right who's over his slot receiver. What, the nickelback is standing there with like, you know, kind of eyes in between the receiver and Aaron Rodgers. He's kind of looking. At him, And then the, the linebacker to the, to the slot receiver in the backside is just going head down, hands on his knees. Quarterback, don't look at me. Please don't look at me. Please don't look at me because I'm the blitzer. And Aaron, because he's played a gajillion snap, goes, yep, offensive line, go block that guy. And then he looks at the defensive ends and the defensive end to his left, the same side as that linebacker, has got his hand in the dirt. And then the defensive end to his right opposite that linebacker is standing up. Well, why are you standing up, bud? Because you're dropping. (laughs) And Aaron goes, okay, offensive line. You guys go there. And then his ball gets snapped, and he signals to Devontae Adams. I think he changes the route. Hey, man, I want you to do this. He drifts a little bit as the ball gets snapped because he knows he's getting that pressure from the left, even though it's getting blocked. And Devontae wins at the line of scrimmage versus a man coverage. They're dropping the end to double him. He beats the double, and it's the big kind of corner route, huge chunk 35-yard throw, so to speak. Uh, it's just those little things that their offense does, they do as good, if not better than anybody. And to your point, Scott, I think that stuff is doing a great job of, I don't want to say masking, but minimizing some of the offensive line fluctuation that they've had.
4: Right. And Dan, you know, I love that you mentioned and talked about the chip because I, I, I've seen that and watched it as well, because here's the thing about the chip block. It's not just an X's and O's thing. It's not just a smart thing to do because it slows the defender down by the physical contact. The other thing it does, is, you remember the old Terry Tate thing? It's it's mind games, office line, right? Yeah. right yeah. Uh, t- Terry Tate offside. And it is a mind game because once that defensive or the outside defender gets chipped once or twice, we know that this is a game not of seconds, but of split seconds and milliseconds. And that one step of hesitation that the edge defender might be making just because he doesn't know if he's going to get chipped or not or wondering where that hit is going to come from outside of his peripheral vision, that's a clean block— He's worried about it. He's thinking about it, and it slows it down, and it may buy Aaron Rodgers that split second that allows him to make a play downfield. Scott,
2: I'm wondering, though, from your standpoint, you're in the GM chair. You've got Aaron Rodgers, who is Phi Beta Kappa Mensa member quarterback, right? Now you are drafting players, signing free agents, putting a team around that guy. What is the breakdown of physical ability versus like just mental capacity intelligence of offensive line skill guys, I've got to get guys that can also think football on Aaron Rodgers' level so that this Lafleur offense could all work together.
4: Absolutely, and that was the thing when I was in New England, we had Tom Brady, and as Tom Brady evolved, but it was also not just Tom Brady, it was Charlie Weiss and Bill Belichick incredibly smart people. We could not have players that weren't smart because the amount of checks that happen at the line of scrimmage with smart quarterbacks and good quarterbacks and guys like Aaron Rodgers, the things that are going to change on the fly, they not only have to be smart up front, they have to be quick thinkers. Again, I've talked about this before. It's not just intelligence, but it's the ability to make a quick decision and a smart decision in an instant. And so the they have to have physical skills. They have to have some right. degree of physical skills. However, you know, one of the things that we were willing to, when we had a quarter when you have a great quarterback that you can look at Peyton Manning, look at Drew Brees, they always had really intelligent centers – and other offensive linemen, but the center always had yeah. to be smart. You know, Matt Ryan, you know, had to look at how his career changed when he had Alex Mack at center. So, surrounding a quarterback with smart players that, you know, our thing was this they gotta be good enough to play in the NFL, but they need to be exceptionally tough and exceptionally smart. Because when you have a quarterback that's going to be dictating and changing things, the amount that a guy like Aaron Rodgers is gonna do with the line of scrimmage. What's going to happen is that player is going to run those other players off if they're not smart enough. Yeah, And
2: you can tell, like, Devontae Adams just gets it, like, gets everything that Aaron Rodgers wants him to get. Why did Aaron Rodgers want Randall Cobb back? Dude gets me, right? Like, he and I make eye contact. He knows what I'm thinking, and now that kind of chemistry. He may not be the most physically gifted player at this point in his career. I don't care. I want a guy that gets me and gets what we're doing And as Dan pointed out, you know, you you map it down X's and O's. It is beautiful to watch if you're a football junkie like we are when you get all these smart players surrounding a genius quarterback and it all comes together. Now, a couple of quarterback questions I'll have for you guys when we come back real quick. Baker Mayfield, we still have to get to him. We talked about Kyler Murray and that duel on the Tuesday episode. Is there concern with Baker at all long-term in Cleveland? And also Carson Wentz, he's going to be the quarterback for the foreseeable future with the Indianapolis Colts. Where is that relationship going to go down the road as well? That when we come back on Tape It.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better.
2: We are back here on tapeheads, Heads. Bob Oshusen with Scott Pioli and Dan Orlovsky. Alright guys, we have spent, really, the entire Tuesday episode, and even the start of this episode with Aaron Rodgers, talking about quarterbacks who are all getting it done. And Dan, I've, I know that you've kind of categorized quarterbacks, three or four different categories, right? Like the guy that is going to be the reason his team wins. Yep. Alright, you're good enough, we can win with you, but you might not be the reason that we win, yes. or we're winning in spite of you, or we've got no yes. chance because of you, right? And you don't want to <laughs> (laughs) be at the back end of that scale
5: the tears are we win
2: because of you we win with you we win in spite of you we lose because of you you (laughs) and right now like baker mayfield when you're the number one pick in the nfl draft you are supposed to be that top category correct you are supposed to be the guy we win because of you when they win are they winning in spite of him i mean you know watching that game this past week a couple times he got hit by golden like it was almost his fault he got hurt. Really, Golden was on his second or third rush by the time he finally got to Baker Mayfield, holding on to the ball for mm-hmm. an insane amount of time. And I mean, I know you broke down the tape on Baker Mayfield and his performance earlier this week. What he isn't seeing, where is it with Baker, and what's the future yeah. in Cleveland? Talking about
5: Baker is such a unique situation right now because the injury has to be a part of the conversation. You know, if we're doing our job as fairly as we can, right. the injury has to be part of the conversation. Now, the the interesting part for Baker with me, and this was part of like kind of that touch screen demonstration, is Baker Mayfield is a technician. He's a technician. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is not. Josh Allen is not. Lamar is not. Those guys don't have to be. Baker's a technician meaning you know his feet are very much so like a boxer's you know they're always separated they're always in rhythm he listens to his feet to tell him where and when to throw the football and there's always that connection between his lower body and his upper body that's the the Drew Brees technical aspect of it when the shoulder is as hurt as it is i'd say that the biggest thing that stands out is he mechanically is two things i think he's in his head a little bit and then in the second thing is it is physically having a impact on his the technician aspect of things the mechanics his feet are all over the place you can see that he is trying to throw things harder because he can't get as much you know kind of torque from his upper body to in that that's the interception um baker has not played to his level this year that he should. Um, His eyes sometimes are in the right place. His eyes sometimes are in the wrong place. I, I think it's very difficult to give a fair Baker can or can't do it. Baker's not good enough because of the injury. They have to make a decision, Bob. They got to make a choice. Are we going to shut him down for a couple weeks to see if this thing can start to heal? Or are we going to try to ride this out? And and if 80% of Baker Mayfield, how do they get 80% of Baker Mayfield to play as good as they can or at least winning football for this team, Scott?
4: Yeah, this is a. there's so much wrapped up in this because um, part of what I loved about or love about Baker Mayfield is his competitiveness yet when i was a general manager and 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 or an evaluator one of the things that i always pulled into the conversation about competitiveness is okay great is this competitiveness a blessing and how much of a curse is it and that's one of the things with with baker there's times where he becomes more competitive than playing smart. And I'm not saying that he's not smart. I'm just saying that at times he's more competitive than smart. He puts himself in harm's way. This was a pre existing injury that he had. This thing's been jacked up all season. He needs to play competitive and smart because, again, as you talk about it as an evaluator, I would always say, you know, intelligence needs to be part of the competitiveness in terms of your evaluation of a player. And He's also got this thing lingering in the back of his head is this contract year. What are they going to do, right? People have been talking at the beginning of the year, you know, people, like, oh, you got to give him the contract. You got to give him the contract. This is why I really appreciate right. the pragmatic approach that Andrew Barry and the Cleveland Browns are making. They finally have leadership that's being a little less impulsive and being more thoughtful. And they wanted to see, you know— Baker had a had a better year and he showed signs of maturation, of growth, of getting, you know, being more about the team and doing fewer commercials and doing the stuff that was going to make him a better quarterback. They just needed, again, I, I've mentioned it before, a pattern of behavior. Unfortunately, what's happening now is... He has put himself in harm's way by being the competitor. Again, part of it's, you know, you live and die by the sword sometimes. And this is what I loved about—if there was something that you asked me, what do you like about uh, about Baker Mayfield, was his competitiveness. What I didn't like about him was at times how he took his competitiveness too far and would taunt people, would, you know, say things that— weren't in the best interests of the team and the team's success. And this is another one of those things. This is going to be a really, really tough decision because, again, you know, Dan, you just mentioned, do we shut them down or not? More importantly, do we extend them or not? This is making things Mm. very muddy and
2: murky in Cleveland. Carson Wentz as well, a very interesting topic in Indianapolis, his contract certainly keeps him for at least a couple of years as the starter for the Colts. They got a dominant performance this past week, and here's what he had to say after that win. Excitement, obviously. Uh, not just the first win, but big divisional opponent um, getting this, this win and, and kind of, again, having those big plays. It's a build-off of what we did last week and the way we were actually able to finish this game uh, the right way. I think it was huge for us as, as we keep going. All right, it may have been a huge division win. It was a drubbing, though, of the Houston Texans. It is a divisional win, and it gets them back at least within shouting distance of uh, of Tennessee after Tennessee had their huge win on Monday night. And the Colts have a big stretch coming up. They've got another game at home with Tennessee on the horizon and some winnable games around it as well. So the Colts could still be a big factor in the South. But guys, again, wider angle lens. Where is Carson Wentz? I mean, Is he just a cursed quarterback that can't catch a break where he goes to Indianapolis, gets this fresh start with Frank Reich, and his entire offensive line gets hurt in front of him? (laughs) Or is he kind of that flawed guy like maybe a Baker Mayfield is where you really have to wonder if, all right, we're giving him a second chance here. He was an MVP-level quarterback for a cup of coffee in, in Philadelphia. He showed that he can do this. But can he do it for a career? Is this the quarterback we build around? I just want to talk about this because
4: this is one of those situations where, you know, I want to be intentional with my words here. And when you're the quarterback, durability and availability is critical. And when you talk about things like this, it sounds sometimes like you're taking a shot at a player or a quarterback. Right. The fact is his availability and his durability has not been very good. That's not Carson Wentz's fault, right? Sometimes the player will receive that or people that love Carson Wentz, whether it's his family, his agent, you know, the the, the people that care about him. This is not an attack or saying something denigrating about Carson Wentz. It's just the fact and it isn't his fault. You know, like, you know, Goodwill hunting, it's not your fault, you know? And I think when you put that part into the evaluation, we're talking about a quarterback. Truly, who's had a career where he's been both above average and good at times average. And as an evaluator and someone, you have to be very intentional with your words as an evaluator when you're making decisions to talk about things in the right way. There's play that is average, there's above average, there's good, there's very good, and there's great. We throw the word great around too much. We throw the word, oh, he's really good around too much with a lot of players. And there's times that Carson Wentz has been a good player, but more than often he has been above average. And, and again, I hope that that doesn't, upset people because that's not the intent it's not taking a shot at Carson I wish I was an above average anything in the NFL I wish I was above average anything as a college player it's not a shot I think sometimes when we 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 take players and we put them into this thing oh he's great oh, that was a great game a great game doesn't mean a player is a great player consistently I think we've seen uh, a player who at again at times has been mostly
5: above average and at times, good. I think Carson Wentz this year has been very good. Um, I'm not going to use great because I don't want to overuse it. <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, I, I think there, there's a couple things. Right, Carson Wentz came with question marks from Philadelphia. Uh, I, I, the number one thing that came from Philadelphia, and it will probably be a conversation for the rest of his career: is Are you going to stay healthy? Um, obviously, that, that has had a lot of, question. you know, kind of eyebrow-raising moments this season. The foot before preseason. What the heck? And right. then the double ankle roll. What the heck? So, I, I like the fact that through six weeks, young man hasn't missed a snap, really. Yep. Um, except for that last fourth quarter two-minute drive against the Rams. So, again, proving your toughness. While also, I, I've watched him get down. I've watched him kind of play somewhat smart this year. I don't need to take this hit on first down and scramble, okay? So I like that from Carson this year. The second question was, is he going to get his confidence back? If you watch the last three weeks, Carson Wentz unquestionably has his confidence back. I am of the camp that a healthy Carson Wentz that has confidence as a top 10 player at the position in the NFL. I think that over the body of work of his career, he has proven to be that. And the one thing that showed up the last two weeks, specifically in the Ravens game and then the Houston game, is the one thing that has been missing for this Colts offense this year. Explosive plays, pushing the ball downfield, taking shots. That has shown back up. I've kind of gone out on this limb in regards to Carson individually the Colts. I think the Colts are going to be very much so when the conversation comes December. And I think a big part of that is because we are watching Carson get more and more confident and start to represent
2: the 2017 to 2019 player that we saw. Well, a couple of guys that I am fascinated to see square off coming up this weekend is going to be the matchup we'll come back and talk about in a moment on tape Heads, as Joe Burrow might be Lamar's next victim he is going to go to Baltimore this week it's the Bengals and Ravens that's a huge game and what a litmus test for Joe Burrow and just to get Scott Pioli's take on whether or not the Bengals with some off-season questions are building this the right way around Joe Burrow we're going to do that when we come back on tape Heads.
5: <laughs> check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app DraftKings YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts alright
2: welcome back on Tape Pets. a really interesting matchup this weekend guys we talked about we got Joe Burrow Lamar Jackson the Bengals taking on the Ravens on the road and Scott you know We spent so much time in the offseason talking about Joe Burrow, his injury, the fact that they had chances to draft offensive linemen and didn't. They got Jamar Chase. That looks to be a magical combination. But there was still a question as to whether or not they were building this the right way. Are we now taking a look at how this roster is being constructed around Joe Burrow and saying, all right, maybe they did have something there because they're finding ways to do this. And he looks like he has absolutely come back off injury and taken that next step as a quarterback.
4: I go back to what I said early on and and during the preseason is part of the building is roster, but it's also everything else that's being done. You hear the word process, right? And the process has to do with player acquisition, but also coaches coaching the way and making, you know, play calling around what they can and can't do and not putting your quarterback in peril what they did in his rookie year was put him in peril because they didn't a have the players to protect him and they didn't do things schematically to protect him this year I think they understand where they're at from a player standpoint and they're starting to build it better now I go back to what would I have done at that pick you know I don't know, I'm just being truthful here. I know what we're seeing with Jamar Chase right now, and that is certainly looking like the right choice now. I probably would have made the mistake and not picked him. I don't know who I would have picked. I I would have been so focused on protecting my quarterback, not knowing if the team was going to continue to do things and call plays that would not protect the quarterback. So... uh, What I'm saying here is they clearly, at this point, have made the right decision by going with Jamar Chase. I still think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in building a team around him that's going to help him, which includes the offensive line, which making sure they have a running back. I mean, Joe Mixon is doing a nice job right now, but the toll that they're putting on his body right now, the amount of touches and snaps that he's taking, I don't know how You know, does he last a 17-game season or not? And when Joe Mixon is gone, do they have the roster built where there's enough depth at the running back position to take care of things? Are they building a defense that they can make sure that they're getting off the field, you know, getting off the field well enough consistently enough against the best teams? Again, we're a few games in. We're not even at the halfway point. What I see so far, I like. It's too early to say that the team is built or being built the right way, but I will say that they, thus far, have made a really good decision and a smart decision by going with Jamar Chase.
5: Yeah, the connection between the two is ridiculous, and I agree. I don't. I was in the camp. I was pounding the table, draft, pen, A, Sewell, because my vision, Scott, or my belief was 10 years from now, right? It's, right. it's, not, it's not today. It's 10 years from now, and to your point, today it looks good. Today, it looks good. And I hope 10 years from now, it looks really good as well. Me too. Um, I think the connection between those two is one of those connections that is very difficult for people to understand. Um, I would say that... I guess the phrase is, the trust, you know, the the belief that Joe Burrow has in Jamar Chase is spectacular. I have watched, they threw a go-route against the the Detroit Lions this past weekend. Um, That's the third go-route that I've seen that Joe Burrow throws the ball... And the defensive back, the corner, is actually further downfield than Jamar Chase's. We call that being on top of the receiver. That's the third one I've seen this year. You don't, as a quarterback, throw that ball. It's right before the, the halftime. You don't throw that ball unless you go, my guy's going to go get it. Like, we, we, there's this phrase in football, you know, when, it, when it's in the air, it's yours or nobody's as a wide receiver. Hmm. And as a quarterback, that sounds really cool. Uh, But the the receivers don't get interceptions on their box score. The quarterback doesn't. And and I think that that connection, at least right now, is you know, paying such dividends. I also go back to last year when they got T. Higgins. And you're, you, what you're seeing for this offense right now is T. Higgins is really becoming a two-way receiver. They're a, a really doing a nice job of making him run routes or having him run routes that he excels at. Very rarely is T. Higgins coming to a complete stop as a wide receiver. He's not kind of shutting things down, full speed and shutting things down. He is going kind of the deep out, the the, the shake route, the rounded out route or the rounded in route. And it's really, hey, do you want him to own the sideline or do you want him to own the middle of the field, so to speak? And I think those two receiving options have been great. Now, Joe Burrow... I want to be honest to Bengals fans. He's covering, he's he's right now, he's covering up for the offensive line. He is. And it's interesting to watch this game against the Ravens because if you go back and watch the Ravens defense against the Chargers, one of the things that you would say was they got after them in their seven-man look pressure schemes where they put four defensive linemen and then three others, linebackers, safeties, at the line of scrimmage. There's seven guys. They got after the Chargers offense and offensive line in their backs when it comes to protection. That is going to be a huge, huge test this weekend because Joe won't be able to cover it up against the Ravens. Like he did against the Detroit lions, you know, where, Oh, that guy doesn't get blocked. Great. I'll go run for five or six yards. You know, when you're doing the Ravens know that. And so I'll be really interested to see how, I think it's a huge, huge, huge part of this game. How many different matchups can they get for those receivers opposite Marlon Humphrey? And how did they handle the seven up pressure look from the Baltimore Ravens defense? When you get Calais Campbell,
2: when you get Justin Houston, All of the different ways that they deploy (laughs) Chuck Clark, right? Like Chuck Clark, we had a graphic I know on Monday Night Football on ESPN a week and a half ago where they schematically just kind of broke down how many different places Chuck Clark has lined up at. This season, And it was like 50 different places on defense the guy mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. played. So what kind of a challenge does that present? Even Joe Burrow, as polished as he looks so early in his career, when he looks schematically at that defense, trying to pick out what they're doing. I mean, he, this is only his second year, yeah. right? So yep. the, there's a way I'm sure to confuse him.
5: Yeah, I think you your philosophy should be two different things, Bob. First down, second down, first down. First down, second down, first down. I'm not trying to get into the third down's much, you know. And so th- because when you get into those um I, uh, obvious passing situations. That's when the Star Wars comes, and that's when if you think you're going to figure it out, you're wrong. You know, so you really got to be aggressive with your mindset on first and second down. Uh, I think you live in a perimeter screen game many times. Um, again, if you think you're just going to get all those right, it's it's almost this. You know, if the the, the defense is going to put you in those situations where you're trying to figure out who's who, where guys are, all that stuff. They're trying to get you, right? Sometimes the bear eats and sometimes you do. (laughs) And that's when you try to, you, you sometimes roll the dice. Think of the Colts a couple weeks ago, third and long to start the game. We're just going to go swing screen to our tailback on a quick two count. And let's see if we can catch them. They do. And sometimes those perimeter screens in those situations, you're not necessarily trying to figure out, Hey, uh, Gosh, is that is that the safety? Is it a linebacker? Is he coming? Sometimes we're just going to call the play. We're going to call this perimeter screen, and let's see if we can gut him once. Because if we gut him once, he ain't coming again. You're not bringing it again. And you get scared as a defense. And so it's there's definitely a challenge, and you got to be very clear with your declarations of who is who, where's Waldo, who's who in the zoo. Um, <laughs> but I think you can try to be proactive rather than reactive as an offense against that kind of all-out zone pressure, seven up,
2: eight man up type of defense. Scott, how hard is it as we wrap this episode of Tape Heads Up to make sure we talked about at the start, trying to get really intelligent offensive players to surround Aaron Rodgers, making sure you got really intelligent players trying to surround a young quarterback like Joe Burrow against that kind of a defense that could do so many things to try and confuse him.
4: Yeah. And to your point, Bob, you know, it's, it's critical because Joe Burrow can make all the right IDs and he can communicate with the the receivers and the the other skilled players as to what's going to be done and if you're not smart up front and you can't figure things out quickly as they're walking guys up and they're not putting people down in three point stance, and you don't know who's coming and when they're coming. You know, yeah. Joe can have it all figured out if his folks up front don't, if their <laughs> right. center doesn't, if they can't communicate from the center out. And that's the beauty of, You know, you you talk about offensive football. You can have ten guys do it right, one guy screws it up, and you don't have Mm -hmm. a play. Same Mm -hmm. thing on defense. You can have eleven, you know, ten guys execute it right. One guy misses the tackle. It's um, that's why. Again, I, I part of what is so beautiful about this game is getting people to all communicate and try to do the right thing at the right time together as a group.
5: And you know, one thing, Bob, just to wrap it up just to give people something to look forward to when talking about these walk around pressures. I'll be interested to see again, first, second down, first down perimeter screens. And then what you, you do something, what's called the cheetah snap where you break the huddle and the last person to break the huddle is the center. He's the last person to get to the line of scrimmage. You sprint to the line of scrimmage as an offense. Once he puts his hand on the ball, the ball's getting snapped. And you kind of do a full slide protection. So those blitzers that might be coming they're not coming from at the line of scrimmage. They're coming from six or seven yards deep because they're not set and you just tell Joe, hey, you got beat the blitzer. You know, again, it's it's this Rolodex of stuff that you try and again, you are your goal is to just catch them one time and if you do that cheetah snap and you catch them and that blitzer doesn't get home and all of a sudden you got Jamar Chase on a post route and that safety doesn't get back from I'm trying to sell pressure at the line of scrimmage and he don't get back to the middle of the field and I just throw a six ball over your head, I'm going to look to your sideline and be like, come on, bring it again, you know, and you're not going to. So
2: that's something that I'll be interested to see if they do as well. The cheetah snap. I remember a clip of Bill Parcells walking to the sideline when he first got to Dallas, obviously to a broken organization and talking to his guys on the sideline and saying, guys, these guys are going to blitz. And I'm telling you, there will be a time where we're going to get to the point where we'll be begging them to blitz right because we'll be prepared for it. Yep. And that's just that's great coaching and that's great preparation. We will be talking about that Bengals Ravens game coming up on Tuesday on the next episode of Tapeheads. Also Chiefs Titans. That is a big one coming up this week. There are a lot of really good teams hitting the bye in week 7. Those are two big games though and also what could be your make or break game for the Bears as they take on Tom Brady and the Bucks. All of that coming up on Tuesday when the next episode drops of Tapeheads. Hopefully you'll join us then. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. You can download the Tapeheads podcast on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired,
0: but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, At JC Penny fashion counts for everybody?